to episode 66 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 24th of June, 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yes, it's a full house. Uh, we're all back for once, back to celebrate uh, three years since the referendum yesterday. Ah, oh, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and still in Europe. Yes. For now. There's been an awful lot going on in the news, so let's just talk about all of that then. And, um, well, one of us has been in the news, Will, <laughs> somewhat. So there was an announcement uh, last week, Tuesday, I think, that uh, Ubuntu was going to drop IE386 as an architecture, so not just the images. Uh, and then nothing happened for a few days, and then there was a bit of a backlash on Friday or Saturday, just in time for the weekend, mm. just in time to ruin the fucking weekend for all of you lot, Popey and you and all the public-facing Ubuntu guys. So, um, <laughs> tell us in your own words what happened. Well, I won't tell you my own words, but um, I'll give you a, a sort of potted history, if you like. So, we've been talking about getting rid of 32-bit for a long time. The key driver behind this is that the 32-bit code does not get the eyes on it, and it does not get as much attention because it doesn't have anybody using it. Well, very few people using it. And also things like the Spectrum meltdown fixes that have come from uh, Intel, which have gone into the Linux kernel, so you need them, regardless of whether you, you think that you need them or not. So the, the fact is that 32-bit is not as well tested uh, and really not in, as, in demand as much as, uh, as it used to be, um, we, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, and so we've been talking about this for a few years now on the mailing lists and, and the, the sort of the usual places, made a decision uh, a few, oh, about a month ago or so, wrote it up, wrote a Q&A with Popey so that we could work out what the sorts of questions people were going to ask and say that we had some solutions to the the sort of problems of wine uh, applications and games in the works uh, and published a post and thought, right, job well done and we'll see what happens. Uh, and then what was it, last thing on Friday night, well, it might have even been Saturday morning for a lot of us, um, Someone from Valve tweeted that they were going to stop supporting uh, Ubuntu from 1910 onwards. Uh, and then the Outrage Massive woke up and, well, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> yeah, there's been um, quite the reaction, you might say, to this, to the point where now you've had to fucking backtrack on it and you will be actually supporting a select number of 32-bit libraries and stuff to make these things work and that list is not going to be finalized it's you know it's going to be relatively fluid if it turns out that certain libraries or whatever are needed then you will build up yeah so the the overwhelming feedback was that people want to be able to play their games their old games their new games their steam games their windows games on steam you know on proton they want to be able to play those games without having to jump through any hoops um and just for everything to work which for the record, was the plan all along. We were going to hide all of the complexity away. But uh, yes, the, the message that we very clearly heard from the community was they didn't want that to happen. Um, and so yeah, we discussed it internally. Um, there were also concerns about print drivers and, and those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, so we talked about it internally and decided that the best course of action at this point was to um, reverse that decision and say that we will continue to support these libraries. The message is out there now, 32-bit you know, is legacy now. So everybody, the whole industry needs to move on from this. Um, but Ubuntu will be supporting those 32-bit apps um, via the um, the multi-arch uh, libraries. 
Now, I did say i386. We're talking about x86 32-bit. This has got nothing to do with ARM, just for the record. Yes, nothing to do with ARM. So the Ubuntu report tool that you brought out, was it for 1804, I think? Yeah. Did that, or would that have helped identify percentages of 32-bit use? Yes, it helps us to identify the 32, the people that are installing the 32-bit OS, or, or rather have the 32-bit OS installed and are then upgrading it to the new versions, um, because you can't install the 32-bit version anymore and you haven't been able to since 1804. So um, yes, but what it tells us is that very, very few people, I, I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but let's say it's like 1% or 2% of, of users are using the 32-bit version now. But what it doesn't tell us is that people are still using that 32-bit software on a 64-bit machine. So it obviously kind of indicates that there is still a bit of a, well, issue problem. I'm not sure what to call it, where like a lot of people are stuck with legacy software that is probably never going to be updated. Yeah, exactly. And those are the use cases now that we, we're going to be supporting through um, through the, the 32-bit libraries. I got quite a bit of flack after we talked about this on Linux Action News uh, last night uh, from quite outraged people saying that I was arrogant and stuff like that, but you know, whatever. But the conclusion I came to there was, if you do backtrack on this, then it's kind of, it's caving into the mob mentality, the outrage mentality. I, I suppose you could, well, I mean, it has been spun as listening to the community, but where does this end? You know, like, can't you just make some decisions and just say, fuck you, we're doing it? I suppose that was done with GNOME <laughs> and uh, people just had to like it or lump it. I, I don't know, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean uh, it's tricky, right? Because for a lot of things, we do make decisions on people's behalf and that's our. Uh, that's up to us. You know, it's, it, Ubuntu is, is made by the Ubuntu developers, be they from the community or paid by Canonical. Um, and if you want to be part of the decision-making process, you can be part of that process. Um, if you know if you're if you're inclined to get involved, then your your input is very welcome, and you have as much voice as anybody else. But I, I think we do need to listen to the community. And in this case, uh, there were a lot of very angry people out there, and you need to be able to filter the the general outraged people from people who have got a valid point. And in this case, there were enough people with valid points that it makes it worth considering and, and you know worth reversing our decision on. It actually reminds me of magazines, because for a long time, we wanted to drop 32-bit binaries on the cover disks. And every time we mentioned it, and considering this is six or seven years ago now, every time we mentioned it, we had loads of feedback people actually writing physical letters because that's all you can do with a 32-bit machine <laughs> <laughs> so so much so that you know we were really scared and it didn't ha it didn't happen while we were there that we dropped the 32-bit binaries or even the dvd itself you know which is completely anachronistic um because people it's just so difficult to take stuff away even when people don't use it they just become used to it as a crutch or an idea of a crutch of something they may potentially do at some time you know it, it is quite brave to like say that only apple can really do it you know you're not going to have a headphone jack anymore it's all the world's going to be you know wireless um and everyone just has to suck it up and i think it's a great part of open source and linux that we can discuss it and you know adapt so what you're saying is magazines died before 32-bit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's actually only recently they dropped the 32-bit binaries and, and still, though, you know, they actually closed the forum down so that these kind of discussions wouldn't carry on. <laughs> wow. Thereby solving the problem forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> close, close the internet. It does kind of show you that if you do become popular 
and you do want to continue to have the groups that you accumulate along the way, then you are somewhat beholden to what those groups expect you to do, um, which could be problematic. I don't know. Certainly expensive. Yeah. All right, well, that's enough of this nonsense. Let's talk about some excellent news. And that is that the Raspberry Pi 4 has been released. Contrary to previous reporting earlier in the year that said the Pi 4 would be coming next year and it would not have USB Type-C to power it, well, yeah, it turns out that that was all bullshit and it is available as of today. Very exciting. Did you buy one? I did. I've bought the 4 gigabyte version because it's got a new system on a chip which is faster, the CPU is faster, and it allows for more RAM now. And they've done what I sort of recommended, really. They've got a 1 gigabyte RAM version, which is $35, which turns out to be about 35 quid-ish by the time you've... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's because it always happens like that. Like the the dollar price is the same as the the uh, pound price because you've got to have VAT and all that sort of stuff on top of it. Import them from Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from exactly. Wales. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a terrible Welsh impression. <laughs> uh, not not bad for an Irishman. Um, so yeah, they've got the the one gig version, the two gig version, and the four gig version, and they are thirty five, forty five, and fifty five dollars, which really. For the four gigabyte version, that is pretty competitive, isn't it? And not to mention it's got proper gigabit Ethernet now. I saw Ben Nuttall tweeting about it, um, and it was like 900 and something megabits per second. So not like the the sort of air quotes gigabit Ethernet that it used to have. And it's also got a couple of USB 3 ports now. So this is actually a serious bit of kit now for what I paid... Uh, including a power supply, which you couldn't remove from it, but whatever, uh, like 61 quid or something for it, which is not bad. I, I, it depends how powerful it really is. It's supposed to be sort of two or three times more powerful than the 3B+. plus. So I'm looking forward to trying it out. Anyone else buy one? Yeah, I bought one. Uh, thanks to your link, Joe, because they were all sold out within you know a couple of hours of it going live this morning in their secretive curtains of you know only the register being allowed to report on. <laughs> I'm really impressed. This goes against everything I predicted at the beginning of the year, and in, in their posts they have admitted that they were. This is nine months earlier than they anticipated, so I'm not sure if they were. Um, they realised they'd be able to get this silicon out this early. But um, it, everything has changed. I mean, the SOC, the video core, um, two weird small HDMI ports, which I I can't even remember whether they're a micro or mini. Um, that's going to be difficult for people to kind of get their heads around. And it certainly disables some of its facility and being able to just plug it in and plug it into a screen. But overall, I can't really complain about that. It's a, it's a great upgrade for a brilliant price. I don't want to uh, spoil the end of year show or anything, but I've just looked up uh, my document for predictions for 2019. Oh, for fuck's sake. Mm. Here we go. Two new Raspberry Pis, one $35 with two gigs of RAM, so close, and one for $50 plus. Mm. <laughs> now, this is a single Raspberry Pi with just multiple uh, SKUs. That's not two Raspberry Pis. <laughs> Bollocks. It's three very distinct models. Let the arguments commence. Well, we've got six months to uh, sort that one out, <laughs> but I, I win on that. Fucking lies. Uh, now, this is actually really annoying because I have a uh, one of the latest Pi 3B models sitting on my desk from my new replacement from my security camera and I'm fucking annoyed now that this one's got proper gigabyte on it because there was a neighbour who got broken into down the road and they 
the cops asked for security footage and I had them standing behind me. I was trying to pull the files off and I was sitting there going, yeah, sorry, it takes a while. <laughs> trying to copy files from the fucking camera and it took for fucking ever. I was sitting there going, do you just want a cup of tea? No, okay. I thought you were going to say it was really pixelated and horrible. No, it's, it's really high quality, but I was sitting there going, fuck's sake, if I could only have installed a gigabit fucking network on the damn thing. Yeah. All, all of that stuff kind of separate separate buses as well to the SOC for the USB 3 and the gigabit in, in Ethernet and the USB 2 separate and the Wi-Fi has been upgraded. Yeah, I think you could make a, a pretty reasonable NAS now out of this because before I tried that and it just the performance was just too shit. Whereas now for a fraction of the electricity cost of uh, an x86 machine, you could run something, I mean, you know, not enterprise really, but just for doing basic backups and stuff. And, uh, you know, NextCloud, just the, the suddenly having those um, be on separate buses and having proper gigabit and proper USB 3 mm. speeds suddenly just makes this a really attractive proposition to me. Well, and the, the new power supply as well means that you can get, I think, one and a half amps out of those USB ports. So now you can plug a hard disk straight in, no external power needed. Uh, yeah, build a NAS really nicely. I did also see... One of the video walkthroughs that Popey linked to, which I've forgotten the name of the channel, unfortunately, but um, they were, he was saying that it's apparently comparative to a very low-spec x86 processor at this point. The other thing is that it supports 4K video now, and it's got two mm. uh, micro HDMI outs. That's an interesting choice because all of them so far have been just full-size HDMI, so now I've had to buy a fucking pair of cables, which I was a bit annoyed about. But um, I suppose to fit it all on. Uh, but yeah, so having two 4K displays, albeit if you're running two of them, I think it's only 30 frames a second, which is a bit shit. But at least one times 4K, 60 frames a second, that's pretty sweet. Mm. And hardware uh, H.265 decoding as well. So that's also very impressive. So I haven't actually bought one yet, primarily because I've run out of things to do with Raspberry Pis and I need to have a think about it. But H.265 on board... 4K output, and this is just crying out to have um, Cody put on it and uh, run a really sweet media center. And I can plug a, a hard disk into it as well without an external power supply. So, yeah, this is going to be a set-top box for me, I think. Yeah, and you could probably install Samba on it and stuff as well. Mm. It's worth mentioning that it's now got a, like, 15-watt maximum consumption. So that's quite beefy. I mean, for people running battery projects on their Raspberry Pi, they're going to need substantially bigger batteries. Yeah, but if you're running a, a battery-powered project, you're probably going to be using an older Pi anyway because they're going to continue to make the older Pis for now. Yeah, yeah. And it replaced something in my house, like a, a Nook that's doing similar kind of things, which takes mm. 60 watts maximum consumption. So, you know, it's a huge advantage. Yeah, well, this goes back to the 32-bit discussion that we had, uh, not this latest one, <laughs> uh, but um, a few episodes ago, where really now, that netbook that I was talking about then, I'd be very surprised if that performs anywhere near as well as this new Pi. So it's just completely fucking obsolete. And the other thing, like um, just this weekend, actually, on x86, I was trying to get um, some Kodi add-ons installed, um, mainly to do with um, playing Moonlight for streaming PC games. And it's really, really difficult because there is no standard kind of Kodi platform. Whereas if you're using the Raspberry Pi, there's so many tens of thousands, I assume, people using OpenELEC or something else and yeah. that 
the, the solution's already baked in. The repositories are already added to coding. You simply just have to install the add-on. And that's the great advantage of the platform, the Raspberry Pi platform, that, you know, you can just buy a Raspberry Pi and everything's just going to work. And that's a great advantage as well. Fully loaded, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's Cody add-ons. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what you were doing there. Um, but that's the thing. There are other single board computers um, that are, well, have up until this point been much more powerful and, and more features and stuff, but they just don't have that software support. They don't have that ecosystem that the Raspberry Pi has. And that's why this is news, really. Like, Raspberry Pi is just the Coke or Pepsi or whatever of single board computers, and it just has that user base. But I love the fact that they've said that they're going to keep producing the old ones because there's industrial partners that they have that are using them inside bits of kit, like proper, I don't know what, but... Synthesizers. Oh, there you go. See? See? But, I mean, the fact that they're willing to stay on the same uh, production scale or, you know, keep it going along anyway so they don't get left out, I mean, I think that's really cool because it's obviously the Broadcom background where they're, you know, they're producing a proper, fully supported piece of hardware that's going to keep being supported for probably some period of time as well. So that that's quite cool. Whereas your banana pie may not be... Oh, that's another interesting thing, actually, that um, they produced more of the two gigabyte ones, thinking they'd sell more of them, um, which seems a very odd choice to me. Surely everyone's just going to want to go for the four gigabyte one. I guess they were assuming, well, it's doubling the RAM that people are used to. It's a huge upgrade. People aren't going to waste the extra 10 or $8, whatever the difference was. But yeah, I mean, that I, I naturally wanted to get the four gig just like you, I think. I mean, a RAM disk, you could, you could you know, fit an Ubuntu image in there. I can see there being some industrial use cases that don't need 4 gig and $10 per unit cost saving is going to be quite significant, you know, digital signage, that sort of thing. So I, mm. I think there will still be a market for it. Yeah, I think you're right for embedded applications, but your hobbyists are just going to go for the 4 gig one, I reckon. Yeah, and they've not made any decision about the compute form factor, whether they're going to do the same thing for this. Yeah, and they don't see an easy way to do the uh, Model A, the mm. kind of cut down one yet but apparently they're thinking about how to do that so i'm sure we'll see that at some point yeah it feels like they're doing it more to tick boxes rather than there's a genuine price saving they can make and offer people you know <laughs> yeah no network connectivity for example and save ten dollars okay this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. go to do.co slash lnl and you can get fifty dollars credit with 30 days to use it DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them, in data centers all over the world with really fast network and really fast SSDs. And you can choose from one of the distros that they offer, like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS, or FreeBSD, or you can use your own custom image. And you can take those distros and build them up exactly how you want. Remember, you've got complete root access to these. Or you can go for one of their OneClick apps, like LAMP and LEMP stacks and WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to huge amounts of RAM and huge numbers of CPU cores, so you can deploy exactly how much you need for the application that you're using. If you need more storage, they've got block storage and object storage, which is really easy to attach to your droplet and just get going straight away. I've talked about their Kubernetes offering before, but recently they've announced that it's now generally available, and they're making improvements to it all the time, so do check that out. They have cloud firewalls, so you can block network traffic before it even gets to your VM. Amazing backups, and a great Teams feature that allows multiple people to work on one droplet without having to share passwords. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $50 credit, 
and get started. That's do.co slash LNL. So something you put in, Phelim, Debian is being built for various weird architectures, including RISC-V 64-bit, and it's actually quite a lot of the Debian archive. Yeah, it's pretty close to about 90%. I mean, obviously, that adage of the last 10% takes 90% of the time. But, uh, you know, they're, they're making a point that in the in the background, a lot of stuff is still going on. And with Buster coming out in about a week to two weeks, maybe, um, it bodes quite well for the for the RISC-V. So uh, I guess you'll be switching to Debian at some point soon then. Yeah, I could I could see myself switching to it. I know you're trying to take the piss out of me for yes. championing yes, Risk Five. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It might run KD itinerary as well. <laughs> so we can get we can double team on that one. But yeah, good to see anyway. Um so hopefully they'll get the whole archive built and uh yeah, maybe we'll see Ubuntu on Risk Five one day. Anyway, well, you never know. Although getting Grime to run on anything other than a fucking I nine, good good luck with that. Maybe a Ryzen with like 64 cores or something. Well, it'll only use one of them anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then one little thing will crash and then you'll just lose everything. Um, all right. Well, fail him. Uh, do your KDA bollocks like you normally do. <laughs> Harsh, but fair. Um, yeah. So while I was off on holidays, literally the day before, so I updated before I went, obviously with the, with the laptop, just in case people from work wanted me. And then I could claim that it broke uh, <laughs> before I left. Uh, Plasma 516 came out and about five, uh, maybe two, three days ago, 516.1 came out as well. So uh, they've been on the ball with the updates as usual. Now, 516 is not an exciting release. Is it? I mean, I looked at it and considered uh, putting it in the news for various shows that I produce. And really, it just seemed to be so minor of an update that it wasn't even worth really talking about. Yeah, but you see, that's what makes it so good. And I would have thought you in your stuck in your ways (laughs) exit face crap would actually be totally up for this because it's all the minor improvements and lower level stuff that's getting worked on it doesn't like blast you in the face with oh look i've changed but it is uh definitely well worth it like um the notifications is great i've actually been making a lot of use of those because you get streams of the damn things these days especially with my kde connect linked into my phone um that would be inevitably twice notifications of my email pinging from both and things like that but now you can just group them all together and just say okay i've seen all those just kill them all off but this stuff over here that's important i want to see that and um while we're recording i was able to hit do not disturb and give it a four air window of don't annoy me or a one air window i I thought one air was just not going to cover all our waffling shite so (laughs) four airs is what gave it to it but and and that's really handy because you can just totally declutter your your workspace as you're doing stuff that you need to and you sort of get it all out the way um and a, a nice wee feature is the microphone um pop-up that comes up in the system tray. So if your microphone is listening, it's quite cool. Um which is handy if there's an application or if you start a VM and that happens to pick it up and then you go, Why did my microphone just pick up there all of a sudden? And uh it happens to be your uh, your virtual display that's doing it. Yeah, I mean I, I took the piss out of it being not exciting, but Plasma five now is really mature. It really is a solid desktop. Did you want to tell people that tweet that you got during the week? 
<laughs> what a, a convert from XFC to plasma. Yeah, uh, well. uh, see, it's happening. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean it is. It is a solid desktop. You know, I the only reason I don't use it is because I have XFCE. You know, but if that just for some reason just ceased to exist, then. You know, I would seriously consider Plasma. It is definitely a solid desktop and way better than Chrome. You see, being stuck in an evolutionary dead end is pretty much ceasing to exist in the long run. I'll have you know that the uh, the port <laughs> to GTK3 is uh, is coming along swimmingly. Is it though? Okay, so, fair enough. Yes. Take your word for it. <laughs> And you put in some other KDE stuff as well, go and rattle through it. Yeah, so they're uh, working on KDE goals. Um, you have by the end of June and a second set by August to, to submit some stuff for that. So prior to this, there was a set of goals on the main website, um, and it was essentially to give people freedom and privacy Where the, was the main one that they had. And they want to come up with some new ones for the, the next sort of period of time. I don't know what their period of time that they're working over is, but they want to, they want to come up with some new ones. And by September for Academy, they're going to release what that is going to be. And then consequently update the website, which has also just been updated recently as well. A few bits of workings on that. And you had mentioned, I think at the live show about the applications page. Yeah. And that has now got a search bar on that to make that a bit easier to work through as well. All right. Nice. And there is also a good work through from Nate, um, the productivity and usability weekly summary. And he's been going through how they did with the, the last set and what they're going to do with the, the new set of, um, what they're hoping to achieve with the next set around of, updates to that as well on to a bit of admin then and first of all thank you everyone for supporting us on paypal and patreon it's very much appreciated if you want to join them you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support and there's various ways there and remember if you support us on patreon for five dollars or more per month you can get an rss feed that has no adverts in it and if you want to get in contact with us latenightlinux.com slash contact Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a Linux-based computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04 and 18.10. And they've got a huge range of laptops from affordable ones that are good for browsing and email and office tasks all the way up to huge powerhouses with even desktop components in them that you can do gaming, graphic design, 3D art, video editing, machine learning, all sorts. They've also got some desktops and servers, and almost everything's configurable, so you can tweak it to be exactly what you want. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for your needs, then do get in contact with them, and they can sort you out a custom order. They're very approachable and great at communicating. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then at checkout, there's a little drop-down. You can select Late Night Linux, and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So over the last couple of weeks, there's been speculation and then confirmation that there will be a premium version of Firefox at some point fairly soon. The premium offering seems to consist of a VPN and some kind of cloud storage. And the details seem to be pretty scant, but I think they're after charging something like $6 a month for this premium service. Um, which you know, if you're paying, uh, if you're paying a VPN provider anyway, seems like pretty good value. You know, use the the one that Firefox want to uh, want to sell you, and then of course the the money will go and help support the the development of the browser. So, I think that the outrage crew are in effect here again, and people are getting cross about something that they don't really 
um, really need to worry about. Uh, I'm not sure that the premium offering is, is quite fleshed out yet, but it seems to me to be a good way of supporting Mozilla and supporting Firefox. Um, Mozilla are in a very difficult position. Uh, as far as I know, anyway, which is that they've got you know the likes of Microsoft and Google competing directly with them for um, for desktop browsers, and a lot of their money comes from those competitors. So I think that Mozilla need to diversify their income streams uh, and and you know find money from as many different places as they possibly can. So I think if you're serious about supporting Firefox and you think it should continue to exist, then you should be able to put your hand in your pocket, give them some money, and in return get a service that you'll find useful. And uh, what browser are you looking at our show notes in, Will? What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> I I think we've got they've got to be very, very careful with this. I think it's a good idea. I agree with what Will says about wanting to support Firefox, but I think creating what may appear to be a two-tiered browser platform would be a huge mistake, I think. I think from a marketing kind of branding perspective, Firefox and Mozilla always has to be free. It has to represent the free web. If they market it in such a way that this is a good value add-on to really... People know about VPNs and cloud storage, and this is a way you can also help Mozilla, then great, but not like a, a fracturing or a fragmentation of what Firefox is. I think Mozilla know that. I Honestly, that I don't think that they're going to um, jeopardise their status in, in the community. They know that they need to be seen as being the, the bastion of free software, and they will do that. And I think that this will be, uh, you know, a very clearly the same thing, but you get these added benefits. and A value add. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm hoping that, yeah, it's just going to be Firefox as we know it continues, and there's this other thing rather than a two-tier thing. I, I don't know. They have historically fucked up a few times when it comes to communication. So let's hope they manage to communicate the uh, the reality of the situation. But I've already seen the outrage people saying, I'm going to brave and I'm going to this, that, and the other. Because that's better, isn't it? Well. <laughs> but I, mean, I am perfectly happy with Firefox. The only reason that I have to have Chrome installed is certain things don't work. Stop using those things. Tell people if they want you that you're just going to have to, they're going to have to adapt to you. <laughs> yeah. And maybe I could start just replying to all my emails once a day. And that'd be the only way I communicate with people and not have a phone and only pay for things with cash. What has that got to do with Firefox as a browser? <laughs> I bet if you change your user agent string, it would probably work for all those sites that you use. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. Source Connect is the one that I oh, primarily need. Well, you know, what can I do if I have to have it for work? Convince them otherwise to use something else. <laughs> well, we mostly use Mumble at work, but then sometimes it fucks up and we have to use Source Connect and the show must go on. So, you know, whatever. Would anybody here use it? If it was called Firefox Premium, no. But if, if I could pay to subscribe to certain services and knowing that I'm helping Mozilla, then yes. At the moment, I don't have a need for those services, and I do have a need for other things that rely on other browsers. So, yeah, right now, I wouldn't. Would you alternately, say, pay 2 to $3 a month, and if they had a subscription payment for, you know, just uh, contributing to the pot, would you do that instead? Yeah, I, I think if there was some, some easy way just to sort of drip feed a, a, a regular quid or two into their pockets, then I'd, I'd be more inclined to do that. Yeah, likewise. Anyway, um, let's move on. Uh, the Pine phone 
is looking pretty sweet. And uh, in contrast to some other phone manufacturers who want to put GNU slash Linux on a phone, it, this is how you should do it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's effectively a laptop where as many uh, distros can come along as possible and run on it. And it will be out pretty soon by the looks of it that they're going to have some kit in August. Yeah, I mean, they don't make any promises, do they? They say we're aiming for August for prototypes or whatever. And that's always been the way with Pine64, how they do everything. They don't say, this is definitely going to happen and we're going to make all these cool promises. They just promise that, you know, at some point there will be a phone and then work with the community to make the software for it. And they're not trying to sell it as this amazing product that's going to take on Apple and Google. It's aimed at developers, tinkerers, hobbyists. And it looks really cool. And it's pretty cheap as well. So um, I think I'm going to end up buying one. I, I love the fact that it's they've kind of standardized on um, a Samsung J7 smartphone battery. Um, I think that's the cheaper version of the S7. And uh, you can pick up replacements for about $10 on eBay, which is just brilliant. Like, Because, I mean, let's face it, the thing that dies in a phone, if you don't drop it down the toilet, is the battery. And with a lot of them these days, you can't even take that out in any sort of, well, you can take it to a shop and have them desolder it, or God knows what they have to do with it. But, you know, you're not potentially guaranteed for that to come back in working order afterwards. Um, I don't think we've actually said what the specs are. So this is like $150 for uh, a 1440 by 720 screen. So it's a quite a big screen, 5.95 inches, it says here. So six-inch phone, uh, quad-core processor, two gig of RAM, 16 gig of storage, USB-C, five megapixels rear camera, 4G, all of the Wi-Fis, Bluetooth 4, GPS, and a 3,000 milliamp battery. That, for $150, is a lot of computer. Well, you say all of the Wi-Fi's, it's only BG and N, there's no AC, so... Oh, yes, you're right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not even a 1080p screen. So, I mean, this is this is a modestly specced device, let's say, but it is modestly priced as well by today's standards. But you also have the fact that you might have a proper OS on it that doesn't require 75 different layers of virtual machine and Java on top of it to try <laughs> yeah. and run stuff. So it might actually have a decent shot of being performant as well. Yeah, but you're going to have a lot of different OSs available for it, but they're all going to be a bit shit at first, at least. But that's not the point of it. It's not a product, is it? It's um, you know, it's not a polished product, at least. It's something for people to hack on and tinker with. Did you guys see the tweet from Manjaro about the um, they they oh, they they showed a screenshot of Manjaro uh, Plasma running on a phone? Oh wow! They don't say anything more than that. I think um, Pine did actually respond and say congratulations. So I have no idea to what extent or what hardware it's running on, but it looked great. You'd suspect if Pine were commenting you, that they would uh, be involved somewhere, no? <laughs> yeah. It's going to end up being like, was it the old N9 running Mamo, Migo, whatever, that yeah. was just Debian? So having a proper GNU slash Linux on a phone. I mean, I know your lot tried that, Will. I know it wasn't much to do with you, but your your lot at least, <laughs> I suppose, and your lot as well, Graham. But, and, and that is still ongoing with UbiPorts, and that will almost certainly work on this phone as well. But it is cool that this is going on, and I, I like the modesty that they approach it with. It's uh, it's becoming, shall we say. 
And there's also um, going to be a tablet and the Pinebook Pro. There seems to be a lot of cool stuff happening from them. So I look forward to spending loads of money on stuff that will just clutter <laughs> up my place. What kind of money will you spend on it? Well, it certainly won't be fucking Facebook cryptocurrency, Libra. I'll tell you that much. You're using Libra Office to pay for things? What? I don't understand. Well, and funnily enough, uh, the, the wallet is going to be called Calibra as well. So you'll be able to read your ebooks as well. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different spelling of it. I've never installed Libra Office on my wallet. <laughs> I cannot yeah. annotate my purchases. <laughs> <laughs> Enunciate your coins. <laughs> so, yeah, this is... Uh, what they call in a cryptocurrency, but it's fucking not really. If you look at it, it's um, pegged to the actual fiat currency. It's just Facebook trying to get into the sort of financial transaction industry, you know, like Western Digital. Hey, they're hip, they're relevant. Don't <laughs> worry, we're not dying. Hello, fellow kids or whatever it is, fellow young people. That meme with Steve Buscemi <laughs> from... Uh, what was that from? Uh, the show was Tina Fey. Anyway, never mind. So we're laughing at this, but I don't know, could it be a big deal for Facebook? Could they make a ton of money? Could they gain a lot of control through this? Could Boris Johnson one day be prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are fucked. <laughs> will, will we ever find out what the row was about? <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> Uh, we really shouldn't do British politics jokes on this show because the Americans haven't got a fucking clue what we're talking about. Could Donald Trump one day be president? <laughs> Could he be prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I stand dear, by dear. you are fucks. <laughs> I, I stand by my mayor um, when it comes to that fella, but seriously, let's not get too political. We always get a lot of shit for it. So seriously, is this going anywhere or is this just um, hype and bullshit from Facebook? Of course it'll go somewhere because every time I have faith that something like them being dragged before Congress or the like is going to change how they do things, it never happens and everybody still just logs in and does the usual and they will now gladly give them all their financial details as well. This is just Facebook gift vouchers. They're going to have people charge up their wallet with real money. Then Facebook are going to look after it for you. It'll just be resting in their account. And then uh, <laughs> they'll give it out to, to the relevant people. Uh, uh, Phelan's right. Uh, people shouldn't use it, but they will. Yeah, because Facebook is the internet. So all you have to do is, you know, make it a nice, shiny something that you have to share with people. And people won't even realise perhaps they're running a currency in the beginning. Mm. So what I was thinking about this story is, is there fragmentation in currency at this point? Like you go to a foreign country and yes, you know, currency is fragmented. So you buy the local currency and that seems fairly understandable, fairly straightforward. If you then had to use different cryptocurrencies in different places, because let's assume that it's not going to work everywhere or... There are 30,000 different cryptocurrencies and your um, dentist takes one sort and your plumber takes another sort. Are people going to go with this sort of all these different versions or are they just going to pick one? And if they do pick one, they're going to pick one that they know of, that they've heard of. It, uh, well, my first thought when you said that was that we're replacing countries with kind of huge corporations running on the internet you know it's the same kind of thing we don't ever leave our house and we just spend it our lives through a browser and we go from the continent of facebook to the continent of google or amazon mm. 
So I think, you know, to a limited extent, people are going to be used to that idea. Um, I don't know. I mean, Facebook probably just scatterguns all of these things, has to cover all kinds of bases, the same thing that it did with VR and everything else. And, you know, so that it's got some kind of hand to hold when when something may take off. Uh, and I think cryptocurrency, digital currencies, Facebook owns it and runs it. I think it probably could be hugely influential in, mm. because they, they do that with everything else. <sighs> Um, all right, well, on that uh, quite bleak vision of the future, we should probably get out of here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully, with another full house. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Mm-hmm.